Amen. Amen. Let's just thank the Lord this morning for being with us. You can grab a seat, and um, I, mean, I, I love this time of the year, um, not necessarily because of all of the, like, the hustle and bustle of the season, but um, I, I, just, I just love moments and rhythms in our year and in our lives where we just uh, take time to remember and reflect on uh, the reality and the truth of Christ breaking into our world, and uh, when, when Christ came, I want us to, to recognize in the midst of this series we've been in as a church called Kingdom Culture, I, I want to I remind you and bring your attention to the reality that when we celebrate that, that um, you know, Christ coming into the world in Christmas, that, that even when Jesus was that baby in the manger, even in that moment when he was, the very moment when he was born, in addition to him entering the world, literally kingdom culture was breaking into the world. Like the kingdom of God was breaking in, being declared by the coming of Jesus. And um, in his coming, the, 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 the culture of the kingdom was beginning to be communicated. And, and as, as kingdom culture is, um, as we think about it, we know that it's not just something that you know. It's not just a, it's not just a, a, a moment where Christ entered the world. He was actually embodying the culture. His very life would represent it to us. And, and so for us, as we, as we continue in this series, like, we don't just want to know in our minds uh, some truths about kingdom culture, right, church? Like, we want to embody it in our lives. Like, we want to represent it to the world so that God's work can continue through us. And so, um, but this work of, of not just knowing the culture, but having the culture be embodied by us, that is a work of God's spirit. And so let me just pray for us before we begin. God, I'm asking this morning again that <clears throat> you would come in the power of your spirit and um, to the people that are here gathered, God, I pray that their hearts would be open to the truth that you want to bring to bear on their lives that you would uh, transform them in it, that you would open their eyes to the calling that you have in front of us today, this reflection of kingdom culture that you want to make clear to us. And I pray that where change is needed, God, your spirit would transform, where, where encouragement is needed, that your spirit would counsel us, where we need to um, have a right perspective and even continue and continue in faithfulness, God, would you be our encouragement. And so we just ask that you lead this time. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, words matter. I know that um, so many of you could, could think immediately maybe of a conversation you've had or, or, or something that's either been difficult or encouraging maybe in the last few days in regards to what's been communicated either from your mouth or to your heart. How you communicate is critical in God's kingdom. I would be willing to go as far as to say, pretty strong statement here, that if your relationship with Jesus has not challenged, shaped, and changed the way you communicate, then you need to ask the question, rather, in your understanding of the gospel that you've actually had a relationship with Jesus. Because I could argue that, that, that at least in my life, over the last five years, I don't think there's been any topic that the Spirit of God has been working on my heart on than speech, the way I talk. Many of you know distinctly the carnage caused by unhealthy and uh, sinful patterns of communication. 
either because of what you've done or what's been done to you. Um, in our speech to, to other people and um, in our, our speech to God, we want to make sure that we understand what God calls us to. See, the, the Bible speaks about communication. If you've read much of the Bible, it seems like around every corner there's some passage about how we talk, the words that come from our mouth. In today's culture, though, we, let's just be honest, like, communication is degrading in our culture. It is, it is not going a positive direction. Uh, honestly, our culture too often, the communication around it has become defensive and reactionary and just vile. Just vile. You can literally, what, you, what sometimes we, we can't even put words to, but is a reality, is that sometimes in the midst of the places where we engage society, we feel a social anxiety that, that causes a tension in our souls because the speech is not in truth and not in love. And into this, God wants to establish a counterculture. He, he wants a counterculture where there are not certain rules for when honesty is appropriate, but when honest communication is appropriate always. He, he wants to create a culture where uh, words exchanged, even in conflict and struggle, can lead to relationships marked by peace and love. And so this passage this, um, that we have in front of us in Sermon on the Mount is an introduction to that that we're going to use sort of as a launching point into a bigger biblical picture of our speech. And just in time for Christmas, when we get all that extra time around the people that we love, a little message on how we speak. So here we are, Matthew 5, 33 through 37. Follow along with me. Get your Bibles open there. Um, Jesus, again, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Now, let me just stop there for a second. And in the past passages, I've made a, a reference like this is referring to a specific Old Testament verse. Uh, let me just uh, let you know that what Jesus is doing here is he's kind of summarizing some of Old Testament law. Uh, there is a lot of statements in the Old Testament law about um, swearing falsely or when you swear to the Lord, you need to fulfill your vow. Jesus could have had in his mind verses like, Leviticus 19.12, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of our Lord of our God. Or Numbers 30 verse 2, if a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. But then look what happens, verse 34. But I say to you, so Jesus is establishing his authority here and he says, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Why? Why this passage? What in the world, if at first glance this passage, you're like, what is Jesus responding to here? Well, let me explain it to you. What he's responding to is that the Pharisees and scribes had taken the Old Testament law and they took these laws that were to establish a community, a culture of speaking honestly, and they had manipulated it into elaborate rules for the taking of vows. 
And this is what the scribes and Pharisees do all the time. They make what's simple way more complicated. The church does that sometimes too. And they had established all these complex formulas, like you needed to know like calculus to figure out all the rules that they had established because there were all these complex formulas for what was honest communication and what context and, and what the rule of how do you say it to clarify that you're being honest here, but, but over here maybe not as honest, and they just created confusion. And what it allowed for was what oftentimes happens when the human heart starts to, starts to persevere over the top of God's uh, uh, boundaries is that it allowed for manipulation in communication. It gave justification for failing to fulfill promises and honestly, a breakdown of honesty. And into this confusion, Jesus, in verse 37, so beautifully brings an end to the confusion and gives a simple principle of kingdom culture and brings it to the forefront. Verses 34 through 36, it's like, stop worrying about all these rules. And what he's saying in these passages is, as you notice, what he's doing is he's sort of going, here's what you would have sworn on. Hey, God's over all of it. And the message that he's sending is God is over all. He's in all. He's through all. Even in verse 36, he's like, even, he's even in control of the color of the hairs on your head. Now, this illustration worked very well up until about 1907 when L'Oreal created the first synthetic hair dye. At that point, the illustration becomes a little more difficult. But the point still applies because God is overall, even if you've chosen to use a synthetic hair dye, underneath is the color that God has planned in his time. He is over all. And, and Jesus says anything more than this, than yes and no, comes from evil. <clears throat> because what he's saying here is he's saying, if, if, um, if, if you need to prove yourself, if you need to add a commitment to what you're saying, then there's a problem already. There's a problem already. Jesus is calling his people to cultivate a culture where character in Christ always results in speaking the truth. And to understand this call, we've got to understand firstly, out of this passage, the big move is this. As you live before the king who is over all, speak the truth. Speak the truth. But I want to make sure that we don't just go, speak the truth, just be honest. And not understand the heart of what Jesus is getting to here because this passage is immersed in the Sermon on the Mount. And there's a relationship with Jesus here and then a relationship with others that comes from that. And so I want to make sure that we understand, okay, so how does this become part of kingdom culture? I don't just want to give you the action without getting to the heart of the matter. And so three actions that will guide you to be a person who speaks the truth. From this passage where Jesus is confronting this reality, let's launch and look more broadly and more of a biblical theology of communication. So here we go, the first point. Steady your heart and mind in Christ. If you want to be a person who speaks the truth, steady your heart and mind in Christ. Notice what Jesus does here is when he's, when he's trying to teach us about speaking the truth, he doesn't give us this like, well, here's the consequences if you're dishonest. He also doesn't, on the other side, go, 
hey, here are the great blessings that comes from, spe- from speaking the truth. What he does is he starts by pointing to the supremacy of God overall. If you understand verses 34 through 36, what he's, what he's doing is he's like, hey, you want to swear by heaven? That's the throne of God. You want to swear by earth? That's his footstool. You want to swear by Jerusalem? That's the city of the great king. The hair's on your head. He controls the true color even if you change it with hair dye. He's like, he's, he's over all. And the point is clear. The honesty of our speech comes and should be a response to our awareness that God is over all. That's the, that's the sort of controlling factor, the, the most important thing to have at the forefront of my mind that leads to honest speech. In God's kingdom, you should do what you do because you have reverence for the king, for his identity over your life, and his presence and his knowledge of every single thing and motive and reality even if we try to deceive those that might be in horizontal relationships with us. And in addition, we should live in light of the king's identity in kingdom culture, and we should live in light of our identity as children of the king. That's why we have to start here. Steady your heart and mind in Christ. I mean, fundamentally, uh, to to steady our heart and mind in Christ works and naturally is going to produce truth because Jesus is truth. John 7.18 says it so clearly. Jesus, in sort of a self-revelatory statement, he's, he's, he's pointing to himself when he says, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. That's not Jesus. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. At the heart of Jesus is truth. There is nothing he needs to prove. Think about all the ways that we wrestle with truth and honesty. For Jesus, there was nothing he needed to prove. Nothing he needs to hide. Nothing he needs to dodge or to adjust. No ulterior motives. He is true. That's his identity. And out of his identity, what he speaks to you is always right and true. Do you see the peace that comes from that, from knowing that about who Jesus is? You never have to doubt the veracity of what Jesus says. You never have to doubt, is that true? Words from his mouth can only be true because at his very nature, he is truth. There's no falsehood in him. And so then, if that's the case, then if we are now children of the king, our heart should be shaped by our identity in Christ. This is why when, when Jesus says in Matthew 12, 34, he says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth, speaks. So over time, as God transforms your heart, there should be less falsehood and more truth in your heart. And then it's known in your mind, and in the security of your relationship with God, the heart gets transformed, and your mind is aware of that identity, and then your speech will be transformed. Heart to mind to speech. 
and, and what, what I realized as I was processing through the importance of rooting my heart and mind in Christ if I want to be a person who is speaking rightly and honestly. As I reflected on this, I realized that honest speech comes in relationships when someone's heart is secure in the presence of another. I see this all the time in parenting, both in my failures and occasionally in some moments when God's Spirit is a stronger than my rebellion. When Amy and I process through sin or failure with our kids, it, I know that, and I know this, I sometimes don't live this out, God help me, God help us all in this, but um, I know that if we want an honest, open conversation, we have to secure their identity first. See, what sin does at every level, in every person, is sin and failure, it brings, it brings guilt and shame and regret. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I know you do. And what that results in is insecurity. And what insecurity does is insecurity creates chaos in our relational identity. And so what you start to ask in the chaos of, of, of and the discord of sin and, and failure is you start to ask, am I going to be rejected or loved? Am I going to be believed or doubted? Are they here to help or are they here to condemn? When we rush to confront you can watch, I see it in my children at times, you can watch the defensiveness rise up. Their response speaks loudly. You're not trusted right now. I'm not secure here. But if we affirm our love, if we ask questions instead of make assumptions, if we talk about the sin and failure to try to gain understanding, if we express our desire to help, not to hurt, if we express our heart to discipline, not to punish, very often tears come and honesty flows. Why? Because their mind and their heart found peace in their identity. And when there begins to be a track record of this in any relationship, you can even have a, a moment of failure, but the ability to regain security can actually be quick. And this security in the identity and in the chaos of guilt and shame, what happens is, is that they're offered a refuge, a safe place where they're known and they're loved where there's peace and safety, there's grace and mercy offered, and then a commitment that we can navigate the change that is needed together. And church, that truth isn't just applicable to the relationships between parents and children. That is applicable to every relationship in your life. These are the things that we're navigating in communication. Security in relationship brings a peace that allows for honest communication. And when security is lost, there's chaos and there's discord, which leads then to either a heightened difficulty in biblically communicating well. You know that when you don't feel safe in a circumstance, you're like, I'm going to have to speak rightly right now. This is hard. And often, not just, a, at best, it's a difficulty in, in communicating biblically. At worst, it leads to 
um, sinful, unhealthy communication. Because speaking the truth in horizontal relationships, remember this, at every point, you're navigating like sensitive emotions and high levels of anxiety and it's never perfect. And then on top of that, if there's a past pattern of uh, dishonesty or sinful communication, you'll find even more insecurity. That's why obedience to God in the way we talk will never be consistent if you steady your heart and mind in other people. We've got to steady our heart and mind in Christ because we never know the state of someone else's heart perfectly. Even the people that are closest to us. We don't have the sort of omniscience that God has to understand perfectly. So steady your heart and mind in Christ. Steady your heart and mind in the one who is always secure in his identity and will never be shaken by what you bring. Steady your heart and mind in, the Christ, in Christ where your identity is always secure. It's never changing. Not the worst thing that you've done shakes it and not the greatest thing that you've done raises the water level. It is constant. He knows you completely and his response to you and your need is always come to me. I love you. He wants to help. He's for you. He wants to draw out your heart. He wants to bring it gently and lovingly into the light. He wants to discipline you for your good and lead you to a place where even in leading you to a place where you're transformed, he wants to empower you the whole way there. And in the security of your identity in Christ, you can speak truth to God. But more than that, Note this in summary. When God is the refuge for your heart and mind from that place of security and peace, you will be equipped to speak the truth more consistently in the insecurity of human relationships. <laughs> we, we need this. We need an awareness of this in our, in our homes. It's not a coincidence where this is positioned in light of the messages we've heard over the past few weeks on anger and adultery and divorce to walk into a place where well, God's like, this is where you find right communication that is the essential foundational building blocks for good, right relationships in, king, in the kingdom. As you live before the king who is over all, speak the truth. Steady your heart and mind in Christ. That's where we've got to start. Then this, and only after, number one. Number two, stop all distortions of truth. Out of right relationship, you're going to naturally want to and desire to stop all distortions of truth. Because when you see it from a gospel lens, even like I've already illustrated in point one, there's going to be a desire in your heart naturally that God's going to bring that you're going to be like, I don't want to distort the truth anymore. I want to stop. I want to live out the wisdom of Proverbs where it says in chapter 6 that the Lord hates the lying tongue. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I hate it too. And Proverbs 12, 22 where lying lips are an abomination. You're like, I get it. Uh, you, you want to be a person like it says in Proverbs 38 who says, remove far from me falsehood and lying. This comes out of the heart of a person who's 
uh, heart and mind have been steadied in Christ. And, and, and you, you'll understand when you get to a passage like, like Matthew 5 here, and you'll understand what Jesus is doing here, that he's setting sort of a core brick in the, in the, in the, in the sort of kingdom culture building that he's inviting us to. And when you understand the heart of this, you don't want to distort the truth, and, you, and you'll resonate with what Paul said in Ephesians 4, 25, put away falsehood, or Colossians 3, 9, do not lie to one another. Kingdom people commit to stopping all distortions of truth. Because what they know is that dishonesty comes because there's a lack of peace. So, so like, I mean, choose your antonym. Discord, trouble, unrest, turmoil, contention, upheaval, strife, conflict, war. Those are all the opposite of peace. That's the impact of your falsehood and my falsehood and the falsehood we experience in the world on individuals and communities. And when you see the ramifications of that and you see that God offers something better, you want it. And so you look at distortions of truth and you're like, I don't want any of that. So if that's the case, let's, let's look really honestly at, at maybe some ways that we distort the truth. I found this really helpful list online. It's not comprehensive but it sort of highlights the most common distortions of truth. Number one, error. Number one is error, a lie by mistake. This is what happens when we, you know, we, we get some news story and we get excited about it and then somebody hopefully lovingly is like, yeah, that's not the truth. You, you jumped on that little social media story a little too quick. An error. Or it could be an omission. This is leaving out information. This is like, oh, everything I'm telling you is the truth. And you're giving 70% of the truth and 30% you're sort of holding behind your back. You're like, I don't really want to share with you the whole truth. I'm going to omit it. Number three, restructuring is distorting the context. That's, I'll tell you the whole thing, but I'm going to give you 70% of the truth, but I'm going to kind of paint this however I want to present it to you. That's restructuring. Four is denial. That's just refusing to acknowledge a truth. I'm just pleading the fifth. I'm just lips sealed. Where words are many, sin is not absent, so that's the reason why I'm not telling you anything. Just completely quiet, denial. Refusing to acknowledge it, even when confronted with it. Five, minimization. This is taking something that should have a tremendous amount of gravity and wait, and trying to lighten it, and then trying to talk someone else into lightening. Why, why, why are you, why are you, why are you so upset? And trying to minimize it. We do this with sin all the time, church. It's one of the uh, main reasons why we don't find ourselves more regularly and zealously at the foot of the cross. Finding revival is because we minimize the reality of sin. Six, exaggeration. This is making something larger. This is the classic fish story, which for me, because I don't fish, means that if I tell you I caught a fish, that's an exaggeration, okay? But for those of you who do fish, it's sort of like the my fish I caught was actually this big, but when I tell you it's actually this big, it's an exaggeration. It's a falsehood. Then seven is a fabrication. This is just simply inventing a false story from beginning to end. There's really no truth in this. I'm just lying, 
So when you see this, you, you, might, you might maybe in past cultures or, or, or maybe in, the ch- in different church backgrounds, you might have heard, well, in regards, uh, in, when we're confronting falsehood or lying, just stop it. Maybe that's the message you've heard. Just stop it. Hold on. Remember our first point. This is so important in understanding righteous and godly communication. Steady your heart and mind in Christ. And wherever there are distortions of truth, what you should learn to do, trained by the reality of the gospel and by kingdom culture, is you should trace the path between the distortion of truth that has come out of a mouth and you should trace it to the heart. Why? Why are you choosing the, to distort the truth? Why is, why is lying the option that you've chosen? Again, not original. I found this helpful list of reasons um, people lie. Why people lie. Seven common reasons. Let's just look at them together. Get, us in, get it in front of us because we don't want to be this. We want to stop distortions of truth. Let's do it rightly. First, uh, people, people distort the truth to cover your tracks. Or number two, to create an illusion. This is kind of like social media. Three, to distract from reality, also common in social media. Number four, make yourself look good or someone else look bad. Five, to gain sympathy or advantage. Six, to alter another person's perception of the situation. Seven, to give false impressions to other people about yourself or someone else. Now, I'm not breaking down any one of the seven. They're all ones that I think we understand and we, uh, we live in and operate in. What I want you to think right now, and I want you to process, this is like group biblical counseling. I want you to process what is the word that's, that's behind all of these. What is at the heart of the person who does any of these seven, and, 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 and what would summarize it best? What's the common factor in all of them? I want you to write this word down because it's so critical that we get it. It sets right at the core of speech that is distorting the truth. It is this word, hiding. We hide because insecurity has taken over. Let me, make, let me make a biblical connection here. Do you remember in Genesis 3 what happened in the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve sinned? They hid. It, it first happened between Adam and Eve. When they sinned, immediately they were like, we're naked. And they made for themselves loincloths to hide from one another. Then in Genesis 3.8, it says they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. They even hid from God. Why do you distort the truth? You distort the truth because you're hiding just like Adam and Eve. Wherever you're distorting truth in your speech, the question you need to ask of each other as you work through it to do it in a gracious and merciful way is why am I hiding? Why am I hiding? Why am I hiding? How is how is sin distorted my view of God? To the point where I would 
communicate a falsehood or lie to you and believe that I could do the same thing before the God who is over all. And so when you do that, what happens is you move back to point one because that's the only place you can go. You have to study your heart and mind back in Christ. And as you move there, the God who is truth will consume you and the truth of who he is and who you are in him uh, begins to correct the distortion that sometimes you've even believed yourself. And out of this, you will see with great zeal a desire to stop all distortions of truth. As you live before the king who is over all, speak the truth. And then this last point, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. I could take you to a variety of different places, but arguably, you know, Jesus introduces this so well in Matthew a five, but really throughout the Gospels, as you read them, you'll see Jesus coming back to speech all the time. And there's beauty even in the way Jesus speaks. I've, I've read books where people have actually studied the way Jesus talks and gives strategies for how to communicate to people. If you notice, one of the things is, is that Jesus oftentimes confronts sensitive situations by asking questions, not by uh, going off on a long message. And, um, but my favorite place to go to observe what um, the Bible says about speaking the truth in love, probably the chapter that has the most sort of bang for the buck, so to speak, is Ephesians chapter 4. Look, look at this, uh, 4.15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. 4.25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, there it is, let each of you... Let, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And then 429, if you weren't challenged already, this one's like a punch in the gut. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up has fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. As, as I reflected on this in context of both Genesis 3 and Jesus' uh, words in the Sermon on the Mount, and then Paul reemphasizing this in Ephesians 4, and I could have taken you to James and all of the conversation about uh, language and speech there. And as I, was ste- as I stepped back and as I looked at this, he, what, what Paul is doing and what, of it, what it's reflective of this strand throughout Scripture it confronting the words that come from our mouth, what I realized is this, among the redeemed, in the context of biblical community, in the context of kingdom culture, where Jesus reigns in our hearts and where he is the Lord of our lives, his people, in the words that they speak, are literally reversing the curse of sin every time we speak the truth in love. And at that revelation, I just went, I am um, extremely motivated to be a person and to call this church to a culture of speaking the truth in love. See, what speaking the truth in love does is it actually gives us a refuge. It establishes refuge in the midst of our world that is chaotic and anxious and, and always posing and posturing with what they say. And, and peace that would come from knowing Christ in our minds and hearts, from speaking the truth instead of letting anger overwhelm us, uh, giving no opportunity to the devil. And in the flourishing of God's kingdom, what I, what I saw that I want you to see so clearly is that speech can be leveraged then 
as we see in, in Ephesians 4.29, to build up and give grace. See, what's happening here, church, is that every time you speak the truth in love in the context of kingdom culture, you are literally returning to paradise. There is a move that is a beautiful reality of where intimacy was lost because of sin. Now in speaking the truth in love, intimacy can be regained. And so when I was, I was thinking through this, I was reminded of this proverb, Proverbs 24, 26, because I always saw this verse and it made me kind of uncomfortable because of the kissing the lips part. And, and look what it says. It says, whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. What is it pointing to here? It's pointing to the reality that, that speaking the truth brings a level of intimacy. It's a complete reversal of what sin caused in Genesis 3. Like when, when sin came in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve covered themselves from each other and they hid from God. They lost intimacy. And in kingdom culture, honest speech kisses the lips. It's intimacy redeemed and regained. It's a beautiful illustration and picture from Solomon of, of what happens when we study our hearts and minds in Christ. And we stop all distortions of truth and we speak the truth in love. And this, just, this is just, I think it stirred me so deeply in regards to the words that we use. See the value of speaking the truth in love. Be drawn, church, compelled by this gospel invitation to find greater intimacy with God and with man and to literally reverse the curse to see the potential for good in the words that we use. Speaking the truth in love brings us back to, it gives us a glimpse of, it causes us to live in the reality. You guys, you know what it feels like in your soul when you talk to someone and you know, because of a variety of situations, you know that what they've communicated to you is truth. There's such a sense of goodness and peace in that. We also know what it feels like when it goes the sinful way. Be compelled by this potential for good. Warning, it's a challenge to conform your speech to the way of Jesus. It will require everything that Christ offers, the power of the Spirit, the accountability and support of Christian community. Many of you, like me, have some unhealthy patterns of speech that have been established over time that God wants to transform. Maybe for some of you, it's a certain tone in your speech that hurts or confuses. Maybe it's a pattern of sarcasm that is funny in one place and cutting in another. Maybe it's a use of certain language that has been wrongly excused over time and it's created a pattern that allows you to speak things that you later regret deeply. And many, many other unhealthy patterns. To speak the truth in love if you want to come under this and begin to receive what kingdom culture offers for you in speaking the truth in love, let me encourage you with this and encourage you to focus on these parts of scripture where you're wanting to conform your mouth to the heart that you know that you have for Jesus. I would encourage you by faith to read and pray through these sections of scripture. First, all of Proverbs. I'm sorry, I tried to find one part of it, but every part of Proverbs is like, it's like literally one verse, two verse, back to speech, 
verse 3, verse 4, back to something about how we speak. It's constant. I'd encourage you even a, a chapter of Proverbs a day works really well. Then 1 Corinthians 13, a 4 through 7, the classic love is passage, is so essential. Because if we want to speak the truth in love, let's not do it based on how the world defines love. That's not going to get you to a good place. It's not going to produce fruit. Instead, start with love is patient and apply that to your speech. Love is kind. Apply that as a guardrail to your speech. And you could continue. And Ephesians 4, which concludes with 429 where it says, Speak the truth as it fits the occasion, as, as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And so... What the word calls you to is that your speech, that you'd be thinking over the words you speak before you speak them out of a heart that's rooted and steadied in Christ, that you'd be like, I want my speech to build up and give grace, to build up and give grace, to build up and give grace. And if you think for a moment that God's encouraging you to, the, to this and is only, um, and, and, and you might think, well, it's easy to be faithful and, and light and encouraging conversations when everything's going great and there's no conflict. But God, will this hold? Can I speak truth in love even in the midst of the hardest realities and conflict? Well, as you study this week, and I hope you do, read through Ephesians chapter four. Notice the context in Ephesians four. The context is being tossed to and fro by deceitful des doctrine, learning to put off your old self with its deceitful desires, striving to put away bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander right in the mess of the conflict. The gospel through the king that reigns over your life and mine that wants your identity to be rooted as a child of the king, he says to you, yes, you can in my strength empowered by the Spirit, by my grace, right in the midst of a mess of conflict, you can embrace either the curse of sin or reverse the curse by speaking the truth in love. Both have consequences. One brings death, the other brings life. By the grace of God, by abiding in Him, we can choose life. And it can permeate your life and mine and it can change the very culture of your life and then through your life and your household, our church, then we will be living in kingdom culture. As you live before the king who is over all, speak the truth. But remember where to start. Steady your heart and mind in Christ. And so to start there this morning, to help us walk towards that and to respond rightly, we're gonna move that away in communion. So, so before, before the communion servers come, before any of that, I, I just want to remind you, because communion is a remembering. I want you to remember how your identity was secured by what Jesus did on the cross. Let's look at this together. He died for you because he knows all of your sin. He died for you to forgive you he died for you to show you his grace and mercy. He died for you to offer your, you righteousness in him. He died for you because he wants to be with you. He died for you because he loves you. He died for you because he wants to transform you. 
And so the communion servers are coming now. As they hand out the trays in just a moment, take the elements, the two cups stacked on top of one another and hold on to the elements and we'll take it together. If you're not a believer, please let the trays pass. This is a practice for the followers of Jesus Christ. But as you hold the cups, come back to this place where you're asking God to steady your heart and mind in Christ. Find security with him. Find peace. Listen to the truth of what he's proclaimed through his death on the cross. Confess to him the places where you're distorting truth. And ask him for a revelation of God in your life that would lead you to be a person who's speaking the truth in love. Let's do that now.